Hi, everyone, and welcome to the April 30th, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. It's no secret, microchips are in short supply. So how has that affected auto production in Canada? How bad is it, and how bad will it get? And is there an end to this global chip shortage in sight? And when the kink is ironed out, what lies ahead for auto plants in Ontario? We'll answer all those questions and more when I speak with Sam Fiorani, Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Sam, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Thanks for having me. No problem. Let's start here. How many vehicles worldwide have been lost to this global microchip shortage and what has that done to the industry in about the first quarter of the uh, year? Well, we're looking at uh, nearly 2.15 million vehicles taken out of the forecast so far this year. And we're expecting the, the loss to go up uh, as high as 3.2 million units this year uh, globally. The issue with the whole industry is that uh, they've relied too much on outside sources. This is a, a uh, an issue that dates back decades where they've outsourced most of the components of the vehicle and a key component like this can shut down production worldwide, as we can see. Has there ever been anything like this in the past or or something similar where um, one component or one part of the supply chain has absolutely crippled production in this manner? Not to this level. We've had issues in the past with uh, airbags and seats and other components where they have slowed down production here or there. But uh, globally, to definitely to this level, uh, nothing has happened like this. And what about here in Canada? How many vehicles have we lost? You know, we've got assembly plants here dotted across Ontario. They make everything from Ford to Toyota to, to GM products. I just wonder what it's been like here in Canada. How many lost? How hard have we been hit in Canadian production? So far, we expect about 141,000 units to be taken out of production this year but that could go as high as almost 200,000 units. Um, and we're also looking at, so far with the 141,000 units that are out of the uh, schedule right now, that uh, about 100,000 of that is permanent. Uh, they won't be able to make that up this year. And explain why that is permanent. Why Is it just because people will opt to buy something different? Um, a, a model is ending because I know edge production has been affected and that is eventually going to end there. What's the reason that... Um, lost production can't be recovered. A, a lot of these plants run a lot of overtime, uh, especially uh, at the number of shifts they have scheduled for Oakville and for, for Ingersoll. So making up the, the lost volume, there's not enough room for it. And they simply can't provide enough extra space to in the factory to make up for this volume this year. And so what lies ahead in the short term then? Um, do we continue to see on-again, off-again production? Are we down until, say, May or June or July? Uh, I just wonder how things get managed from now to, say, the end of the year. There is already scheduled production downtimes for May, June, July, even into August. So we're looking at uh, more lost production that will not be made up. And they're just going to have to uh, to deal with uh, the lack of supply of parts. This is uh, uh, an issue that has hit Canada very hard. 
beyond 2021, do you see an end? When might the supply sort of replenish itself and when might things get back to quote unquote normal? That's always the term we hear amid this pandemic. We want to get back to normal. When does chip production get back to normal? Well, since we're in uncharted territory, it's it's difficult to say when that will happen. A year ago, we would have said, oh, well, I think initially we said, oh, production would be down for a couple weeks for uh, COVID. And that turned out to be wrong. Looking from this vantage point on uh, chips, we need to get a better supply of chips dedicated to the automotive industry. So getting that first is the problem. And once we have that established, and these chip manufacturers can't just switch on a, a switch and say, here's your, here's more chips for you. It takes a while to, to upgrade the plants. These are uh, clean room plants that are making chips. It's very difficult to just start a new plant and uh, getting the supply for the automotive industry will, will take some time. We're hoping to be back on our feet by the end of this year, but it does look like there's a possibility that we could go into 22. We've been told the reason chips are in short supply is because they're being used in phones and computers and video games. All these things that are in high demand during the pandemic as people spend more time at home, whether they're working from home or homeschooling. Is that still the biggest reason for the chip shortage? Is that there's still demand elsewhere that these chip makers um, can meet more easily or more profitably than they can uh, in terms of automobile chips? It's all about the profit. These companies are supplying chips where they make the most money, and it's it's the way business is done. And unfortunately, the automotive industry does not have dedicated supply for these chips, which are less profitable. They're older. These are they have to be more robust for more extreme temperatures, for more extreme situations. Your phone can break down and won't leave you stranded in the middle of the highway. You can't have your car breaking down in the middle of the highway. Right. So they have to be a little bit more robust. And uh, because of that, these are, these are older technology and, and which is fine. They're, they're more reliable. Uh, If you look in the space program, they use older chips too, because that's what they need to do to keep uh, satellites running in extreme temperatures. Uh, These, these companies are focusing on where their money is made and their money is made on newer chips for video games, for phones, for all these mobile devices that we have. That's where the money is. Uh, Finding a good source going forward for the chips that are necessary for the automotive industry is the key to keeping this, this supply chain steady. So, It leads me to this question. How did automakers not see this coming? Or was this just, we didn't see COVID coming and this is a a byproduct of COVID-19? It's a little of both. First of all, there's there's COVID that nobody could have predicted that going in. Uh, The fact that they shut down production of everything and then restarting production, the chip makers are going to focus where their money is made and that was not focusing on the automotive industry. Plus that the automotive industry was expected to ramp up very slowly coming back from COVID and they came back really quickly. So it got everybody off balance. This is compounded with the problem that, that the supply chain for the automotive industry is not in, is not held in house like it had been decades ago where Ford built everything when stuff came in one end, the car came out the other end. Right. Uh, they owned the whole supply chain. Today, it's all—it's mostly outsourced. 
and you have to rely on other businesses to take care of uh, making sure you have enough product. So under the current system, is there any way the auto industry can sort of jump back into the queue and get itself ahead of cell phone makers and video game makers? Or are we stuck as an auto industry in the pecking order of being at the end of the line? A little outside-the-box thinking is necessary here. If uh, the automotive industry banded together and formed their own consortium of chip manufacturers, uh, worked with the chip manufacturers themselves to to create their own supply, this would help stabilize the whole market and allow the, the supply chain to remain unbroken and dedicate factories just for the hun- nearly 100 million vehicles being built around the world. The automakers have sort of pushed the U.S. government for some assistance in this. Do you see anything coming from that? Can a government uh, in North America, whether it's the United States or Canada, um, regionally, if they work together, is there anything governments can do to sort of alleviate this problem? I'm sure it's not a quick solution, but is there a way to make sure it doesn't happen again? It's definitely not a quick solution. There's no quick fix on this problem. Longer term, Working together with uh, little incentive from the governments, plus the the backing of all these manufacturers that desperately need these products, they could create a supply chain. They could encourage a supply chain. They could uh, allow these companies to provide a steady supply of chips for uh, North Amer- definitely North American products, which are relatively modern compared to a lot of places in the world, and needing more and more semiconductors between engine between the engine and transmission controllers and infotainment systems and power everything chips are not going away and we're going to need more and more of them and so a definite steady supply of these chips are going to be necessary to keep up with 17 million vehicles built every year in north america 100 million vehicles built around the world this is a, a, a definite industry stopper and something needs to be done. Uh, I want to change gears and talk about the future of production in Ontario for a second. Um, Brampton in particular, uh, owned by Stellantis, formerly FCA, uh, has been building sedans for seemingly ever, sedans and muscle cars. What is the future forecast there? I, I don't think those can be built forever. I don't think Stellantis probably wants to build them forever. So what do you foresee for Brampton in the future? Stellantis probably would like to build them forever. They're profitable. But uh, the problem is that they're not emissions friendly and they're going to have to evolve with the times. Building vehicles for, for fleet or for the halo products that, that some of these vehicles are, this is great for the company, but it's not going to be a long-term play. They have proposed a number of different products for that plant over the years. And for one reason or other, they have, not come to fruition. So we're, we're looking to find the next big product for that plant. These products can stick around for a few more years, but uh, uh, Stellantis is going to have to step up and come up with something new, uh, probably some sort of crossover since sedans are, these are the last, among the last sedans built in North America. Sure. Yeah. For uh, U.S. and Canadian consumption. So they're going to need to come up with something that is uh, more in tune to the buyers of North America uh, probably something electrified, but uh, nothing has been definitely 
put into the books for that plant yet. Do you have any indication on what exactly Ford Oakville will build? We've been told, quote unquote, up to five models of electric vehicles. But what is that exactly? Do they have any electric model that is destined for Ford Oakville at this point? And if they have one, do they have five? Do you have any idea what might go in there? Since the last contract with Unifor, we have a little bit more information on Oakville than we do for for Brampton. Uh, they, they do promise up to five electric vehicles coming in there. And we're looking at at least four at this moment that are earmarked for that plant. The, among the first of them will be the electric, electric Lincoln Corsair E. Uh, this will be the beginning of the second generation of Ford's electric pl- platform uh, following the Ford Mustang Mach-E. Right. And, and uh, all the rest of the vehicles that are coming will be on that platform as well. So there will all be electric vehicles coming there. All electric vehicles, all sort of mid-size, large insides when it comes to crossovers then? Yeah, we're all looking at uh, mid-size crossovers, mid-size to compact crossovers, and uh, supplementing and possibly eventually replacing existing ICE vehicles. Last question. I assume if you're going to build anything, you need to be building a crossover or SUV of some type in this day and age, don't you? Absolutely. That's what the buyers want in North America. The shift towards crossovers and trucks is is definite and it's not coming back. It's not like the shift from two doors to four doors years ago where it, it could be fluid back and forth. This is a permanent shift. Crossovers are the new sedan. and it, even if gas prices spiked, crossovers get roughly the same gas mileage as an equivalent car. So it's not going to be a, a big shift back to cars at any time. Sam, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. I really appreciate it. No problem. We reached Sam at his office just outside Philadelphia. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember... You can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.